Hello, I am joined by a very special guest that I'm so excited to have on. This is Emma. Emma, why don't you tell everyone who exactly is Emma? Oh, I wasn't prepared to uh, do such a juicy intro, but I will. Hello, everybody. My name's Emma. I run a business called The Broke Generation, which is an educational platform that talks about money and getting financially confident by starting from within. So it's sort of like financial personal development. Um, I'm studying financial psychology and behavioral finance at the moment. So I kind of help people work through their money stuff from the ground up, looking at things that have happened in their lives lives, their financial experience as a whole, and how we can, regardless of how much money they've got or what their actual financial outcomes end up being, they can get there in a way that works for them, that feels aligned to them, and that they feel good about. I love this. So where did the name The Broke Generation come from, and when did this start? Oh, this is such a contentious topic because so I started the Broke Generation as a, as a blog, as many great love stories. Is begin in business as a blog in 2018 um, because I was sort of undergoing my own financial transformation and I was starting to realize that it wasn't just about setting a budget and it wasn't just about, you know, reusing toilet paper or being really frugal or whatever. It was for me, I had so much to unpack in terms of um, spending habits and, and, and not just what I was buying on how much I was spending but why and why the budgets never worked and why I was always starting over to be honest I'm not sure where the broke generation came from but I think uh, you know you know when you're kind of like it was always that and I kept coming mm. back to that but I don't really know why but I think it's sort of it summarizes for me the experience of our generation and that is really like my sweet spot even though a lot of older people do say they enjoy my content as well because money stuff is so um so new um it's sort of it's one of those things I kind of hate it sometimes like I I often think about changing it but you know when you get so far down and you've got your domain names and your DNS settings and you're like oh god I can't change it now and people know you as that but some people do say they like it and I I I do um I do worry that it is a bit negative but I I think it's sort of um tongue-in-cheek negative in a way that we are we are broke in so many ways financially um, from an empowerment perspective from a confidence perspective um, you know economically things are broken for us we are in a broken system Um, I will say I did used to my sort of tagline used to be woke but broke um, kind of speaking to the social uh, social strides that we are making but it's not Mm. catching up with our finances because of the external world I have I don't use that anymore because of the um uh, appropriation use of the word woke so I don't use that anymore but that's sort of the story of where it came from that we are doing so many great things but it's not catching up to our money and that is because of so many different things that I think are, are very unique to our generation. What do you think is unique to our generation? Well, there's the external stuff like, you know, there's things we can't argue with at all. Housing affordability, there's things that no mindset shift will change. Housing affordability, um, stagnant wage growth, um, a pandemic, (laughs) Uh, the particularly here in Australia. And this has obviously been, I mean, it's apparent to everybody, but it's been particularly apparent to me compared to coming from the UK where the... uh, the for want of a better word I suppose wealth that sit with a lot of people that were traditionally working or lower class because of the property boom that has been so recent you know property has gone bonkers absolutely everywhere but particularly in Australia it's people who had working class parents now have a two million dollar home and it's like oh okay and and what that means and you know then on a more um 
on a more uh, everyday level, we are the first generation to be dealing with uh, buying through social media, with influencers, bloggers, um, the democratization of content, online mm. shopping, next day delivery, instant gratification. And even in Australia, we do have a lot of that slightly less than other areas in the world, like next day delivery. We don't, I mean, a little bit, particularly if you're in Sydney, some things can even be delivered same day. But for a lot of people, the next day thing is not so much of a thing because Australia is so vast, but we still just have access to all this stuff and everything we see everything we talk about everything we fucking think about gets remarketed to us so we can't possibly forget it and I just think that the financial narrative for our generation is um very negative uh the traditional models that you might have followed don't work for us and so I think we need to repave that way in terms of property ownership and investing and that kind of stuff um so I do think that it is a unique experience for those reasons and a number of others (laughs) so I love the rise in accessibility when it comes to buying things I've just moved over to Brisbane and sometimes I experience next day from Amazon Prime Hmm. so that gets me a little bit exciting and I love that But what do you think the implications are? Because it is so easy. I've been on websites where I think it's taken me two clicks and it's nearly been by now and it's done. Whereas some websites, it's like, okay, it's a full process to get through. And it was interesting because the other day I was having a conversation with a lady I know. She owns a skincare brand. And I was speaking about this and I was like, I was on a website and like I nearly accidentally bought because it was literally two clicks. Like, honestly, because my card is saved into my laptop. It was that quick. And she goes, that's exactly the way that I want my shop to be is within two clicks they're bought and you don't even know what's happening. What do you think are the implications of that? Oh. Yeah, the um, the rise of user experience is mm. a very difficult conversation, particularly with things like Buy Now, Pay Later, even banking apps, um, Apple Pay, all that kind of stuff. It's like, yes, things are smoother than ever to use. Uh, you know, people even say to me that they, and Buy Now, Pay Later was something that I missed out in that generational conversation, but we are the first people dealing with mm. absolutely unbelievably easy access to credit. Like, ask your parents, ask your grandparents. You couldn't put travel on a credit card. You couldn't even get a credit mm. card. Until the 70s, women couldn't have a bank account. Now you can sign up for debt while you're in the queue at Zara. Like, I don't know if they take Buy Now, Pay Later, but whatever. Literally. <laughs> 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 It's unbelievable. And this streamline removal of barriers to purchase is it's hard, especially when you know small business owners, because obviously it's their livelihood. And if it means, you know, there there are research, this is this is how uh, buy now pay later providers and um, you know, Apple Pay or whatever, that's how they sell it in as a payment platform because people buy more when you have this. Um, and so, you know, taking that side out of it because I, that's a different conversation, but from a user perspective. Marketing is and always has been, and user experience is and always will be, a way of making systems fit into the way our brains work so that it overrides biases, it reduces thinking time, reduces dwell time, means that we complete the transaction sooner and then we get Mm. what we think we want, what we have been (laughs) told that we want sooner so that there is less time to back out of it like even little things you might not think are that it's it's so clever you might not think it has that much of an effect on you but if you're buying something and it goes our error 
there's going to be a much higher drop off mm. rate than if you can buy it in two clicks. Like Amazon has that um, instant buy thing, and you've buy now, yeah. already bought it. Yeah, and I, I don't use Amazon a whole lot, but sometimes you've got to because it's the only place that has what you need when you can get it. Um, but yeah, it, it. I think what is um, concerning is that it is created to override our biases and override our already pretty ropey ability to make rational decisions. (laughs) Mm, So that was my next question is, do you think now that we've kind of minimized the time of like thinking about why we are making this purchase? I know I came from um, very like quick spending habits, really bad money mindset, like I've got money, let's spend it. It was like not feeling safe to hold wealth and, and abundance. But now I, even when I'm like, okay, I need this thing, I actually go within and I even have discussions with my partner, like, why do I actually need this thing? Do I actually need it? What's the benefit this is bringing me? And I don't think, and what I say, like I don't say any of my friends do this, but I don't think a lot of us do this. But do you think there's now such a minimized time where we actually think about like, do I want this purchase? Do I need this purchase? Yeah, and I I think that a lot of the time, um, and this sort of plays into the UX conversation as well, a lot of the time it actually has nothing to do with the thing it's the instant gratification and the dopamine that we get, um, you know, particularly, and I'm not a mental health professional, so I can't, um, you know, comment in too much depth on this, but we have a huge rise of particularly women um, living with ADHD and the differences that uh, in, you know, dopamine uh, differences in the way we engage with dopamine, if you have ADHD as well, um, can translate often to a lot of buying behaviors. But even that aside, it becomes not about what you want, because it's just about getting the hit, particularly in lockdown, particularly here in Melbourne. A lot of people mm. do a lot of online shopping just to feel something like it's all very normal. Um, when the war broke out in Ukraine, the, I did a, a bit of stuff around um, what I was calling doom spending because we just it's not even about what you're buying. It's about the act of shopping like we also our generation grew up with retail therapy and sex Mm. in the city and very flippant uses of like shopping being an activity like I used to go out with my friends with like I don't know five pounds or whatever and we would go shopping because that was something that we saw women doing on tv and we like wanted to do that and we didn't have the money to do all the flashy stuff but you like you know you go around you buy like a a lip gloss or whatever it is and I think it's um I've kind of sorry I've lost track of the of the question a bit but I think that it is a financial thing in terms of we are parting with money for certain things but it's actually a lot of the time not even about what it is that we are buying sometimes it is but sometimes it's about the actual purchase and a lot of it is fueled by I don't want to blame social media for everything wrong with the world but social media and our phones and technology and Netflix creates this hunger for feeling something instantly through consumption whether it is consumption through buying or consumption through buying through scrolling through watching we are used to obtaining our feelings externally without um or or eating or drinking we're used to Mm. obtaining our feelings externally and of course we do that anyway but it's become so stacked the other way that we obtain all of our feelings through consumption and we have very little control over um often you know people might go you know the worst question you can ask a millennial is what what are you into what are your hobbies what music do you like you're like i don't know because we don't like those things anymore we like eating drinking getting parcels from australia post like it sounds (laughs) awful but it's like 
what are the things that like if you were really honest with yourself people go what brings you joy and they go oh, cuddling my partner and my cat but it's like really if you think of the times you were happiest this week it was probably when you were pouring yourself a glass of wine eating or buying something and I mean mm. at least for myself and I cannot be alone and I know I'm not alone that is unfortunately where we get so much of our happiness from and the pandemic and lockdown particularly really heightened that because we got put in this like societal petri dish and um yeah I think it's it's um it's concerning and and there comes a point where that costs us money and when that is the not only the outlet for our for any money that we have that's where it goes but also it's our focus as well so we're not thinking about things like planning for retirement or investing or whatever because we're so focused on this you know little bubble that we live in of who's doing what and who's eating where and who's doing who's on what greek island or whatever and it's a distraction from um I guess, more sound financial decision-making. Where's the fine line of, you know, there's a lot on social media of like living your life. There was actually a trend. I know you don't really consume TikTok, but you might've seen this trend on Reels. Uh, There was a trend and it was like, I might, it was everyone who was in the European summer a few months back. And it was like, I may have $0 in my bank account, but I'll never be swimming in, Italy with the love of my life at 25 again right so where's this fine line of like especially our generation because I completely read like tell me you're a millennial without telling me you're a millennial Hmm. about the eating drinking and waiting for your parcels right (laughs) but where do we our generation in particular live our life live for what we've earned but also like hey we've got retirement we've got superannuation like do I eventually want to have kids? Do I eventually want to buy a house? Like what's my long-term goal? And I find that especially people I have conversations with, it's kind of like, oh yeah, like that's going to come. Like, yeah, but let's live for now. So where, what's, what's your advice on that? What do you believe on all of that? Yeah, it's such a, it's such a difficult conversation because everybody's got such different variables, right? But I mean, I did see, I think it was probably from TikTok. I probably got it on Instagram about a month later, but it was one about, (laughs) um, definitely geared towards the US because of the language, but it was like, I don't have a 401k, but I have a 401m, like 401 Mm. memories I made doing whatever I want with my money. And it's like, that's cute. But, you know, the uh, largest, the greatest, uh, sorry, the greatest uh, population sorry (laughs) the greatest portion of the population at risk of homelessness is women over 55 we Mm. are trying to save for retirement in an environment where our salaries aren't moving so unless you earn a lot 10 percent a lot of people particularly in australia we have we're very lucky to have superannuation but 10 and a half percent of 50k is very different to 10 and a half percent of 150k so you might be thinking yeah my retirement's going to be fine but will you have enough will you need to use that money for something else and you know there are very limited things that you can use your superannuation for but there are some circumstances when you can and you may need to um that's not saying you should that's a very different conversation but there are you can't ignore the very real financial implications particularly for women however we also have, and again, this is another generational thing I think is unique to us and the generations that will come. We also have the unique challenge that we are, a lot of us are dealing with quite significant climate anxiety. So we are, when we do try and you know face these hard things and go, right, I'm going to save my retirement. And we stare up that mountain of where the algorithms say we should be and where we are not. Then we kind of go, 
but the world's on fire. Will I even need it? And that's a really dark thought, but mm. it is, you know, you really can't ignore the situation. Like we, we're getting more extreme weather all the time. There is that concern. We have completely incompetent governments, if you want my opinion. Uh, no, no, I agree. Disagree, but yeah. I agree. Uh, I agree. It is, it, it is a really hard thing to get your head around. And I've been kind of working on an analogy for this because I did a talk recently about, um, you know, balancing living in the now and finding financial contentment mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And I think it's a, it's, it's very complex. And a lot of it comes with breaking up with consumption. I think a lot of the positive outcomes come with breaking up with consumption because you feel more content without consuming things, which therefore costs you less money. You can still spend money on the things you do want. And I often say this, my content and my approach is never about getting you to stop spending on things you do want. It's about getting you to stop spending on things you don't want, because that's where, and it is almost impossible to not accidentally spend money on things you don't want, because there is just stuff everywhere and triggers to spend everywhere. Mm. Um, So I think a lot of it comes down to that, but I've been working on this analogy and it isn't quite right, but it's a little bit like when you maybe, say you've got like a gorgeous uh, silk white blouse and you go, I'm not going to wear it because I might stain it. I'm going to save it for best. And then you never use it. That's, a waste because you've never used the top but say the top is like a metaphor for your money if you go I'm going to wear the blouse I'm going to wear it I'm going to enjoy it and you're going to spend your money you're going to enjoy your money you don't then destroy that blouse or just throw sauce all over yourself or you don't Mm. make that the only blouse you'll ever wear or the only blouse you can ever have or it's not fully complete but I guess what I'm saying is you can sit somewhere between the save for retirement and live in the now. Um, I think it's it's very, you're either one or the other and, and mm. people will kind of go, well, I don't want to be that, so I'm going to be this. And that's where all that 401M comes from. Um, but there is a place where when you break up with consumption, where you really break down what you're buying and why you're buying it and where your money's going and how much value, lifestyle value for you, you're actually getting out of that there is this sort of equilibrium where whether the algorithm says you'll have enough for retirement or not is kind of a separate conversation. It's more this um, financial perspective, I suppose, that looks to use money to enrich your life in a real lasting way, not in a short term. Yeah. These, these trousers are adding value to my life because are they really like, yeah, we kind of tell ourselves, yeah, I'm going to keep them for years. But it's like, are they really like, yeah, you yeah. have to get really critical. You have to, again, that resistance, that hard bit. You have to go, I want this. I'm not going to get it. You have to disconnect from that because it's not just, you can't just wake up one day and not buy things anymore because it, it is about learning to spend. And I talk about this a lot. We are, lots of us are taught nothing about money. Some of us are taught to save it and budget it. But even those people don't necessarily have a very healthy relationship with money because they skew too far the other way and they are very Mm. vigilant around money and they're not happy either because they're always worried about not having enough and they can't spend on things they want because they're so frugal or they're so vigilant about it Mm. so nobody's actually happy unless you do this work on your financial contentment and your contentment with the way that you're spending your money and I think that there's several benefits to that but one of them that does speak to the retirement conversation is really I do think that if you are happier in your life before 65, intangibly, and you can't necessarily quantify this, but I think that you need less money when you're older because 
you're not making up for a life that you've hated for the last 65 years. And it's mm. it's a complicated one because you still need to think about where you're going to live. Like, will you be able to pay rent if you're on the age pension? Probably not. Like those kinds of things. And we need to talk about that. And that is that is a separate thing. But in terms of this kind of everyday money mindset, view on money, financial perspective or whatever, a lot of it comes down to actually deciding what your values are, how you can align your money to that, and almost more importantly, everything that is not that, because you can say mm. no to everything that is not that. And finding value, finding what your values are is, is can be quite difficult, but it's sort of um, an example I often use is when you go on holiday with somebody, you really find out the things that they value because, you know, there's those people. I remember my mum used to go on holiday. Well, I think she went once or twice with a friend of hers and their values were just completely polar opposite. Mm. Like her friend wanted to like pay the premium package so that you got the brand name alcohol, whereas my mum doesn't drink. So she just wasn't interested. <laughs> Some people want to do excursions. Some people want to sit by the beach in silence. Some people want to go and do a bunch of organized fun. Some people want to make friends with the people next to them. Some people don't. Like, that's how different the things that we value are. And that, like, micro experience translates to our everyday lives as well. And something I often get people to do is go through their transactions. And this works for spenders and savers. One of my Mm -hmm. friends, actually, they said to me, um, I didn't think I needed your content really. I like you, but I didn't think I needed your content because I'm really good with money. And then they went, oh, and then I did that task you said about, and oh my God, I couldn't believe it. So I get people to go through their transactions and um, obviously taking out the essential stuff, rent, mortgage, that kind of stuff. But in just in terms of where your money is going, one, identify where you're leaking money, where you go, oh my God, that added up to so much. A lot of people do this with the supermarket. They pop to the supermarket for a couple of bits, 15 times a week. And the other thing is give every transaction a ranking out of 10 in terms of how much lasting joy or lasting value added to your life. Because then you get a heat map of where your money, where your discretionary income, that stuff that you've got a choice over, because, you know, cost of living is rising, um, our essential expenses for many people are non-negotiable or they're not negotiable right now. Yes, you can move to a cheaper rental, but maybe you've got to wait till your lease is up or whatever mm-hmm. in the right now where the pull is and that is, uh, is in that discretionary income and where that's going. If you're getting like, yeah, you might have some tens, maybe that meal was really nice. Maybe that was, maybe you really do love that bag, but there might be a lot of like, things where you don't even remember spending it there might be Mm. ones where you're like god I already regret that top like I didn't need to buy that or I went to that I went to that um gig because everyone else was going but I didn't want to go really or whatever it is for you getting a heat map of the value you're actually getting from your money will um answer a lot of questions in terms of how you feel about money and this comes back to my kind of ethos when you feel better about money you are in a much better position to tackle those things like where am I going to live in retirement how much is in my super fund all that kind of stuff I love that I'm definitely going to do that I feel like maybe the past year I've like subconsciously done something like that but to refine it now and being in a different environment for me I think that's important because I think being able to understand you know where your money is at but yeah what what's like the What's the long-term effect from doing this? I think something that I really value is freedom and being able to do things like go out for a nice dinner with my partner. But ask Jess maybe, you know, five years ago, I was like, nah, let's buy the new top or the new jeans or, you know, whatever you need, brand new. And that's something that like I think twice on now, not in the sense of bad money mindset, but just like why? 
where did I've obviously subconsciously maybe been scrolling through an aesthetic girl's Instagram and I'm like, oh my God, of course I need those pads. Like I just need them. And like, I have been catching myself using that type of language. Like, no, I definitely need that. Or, you know, summer's coming up. Like, of course I need that new bathing set. Like I already have 10 bathing sets Mm -hmm. and I, and I absolutely love that. So that's something that I will definitely be doing. I, what I asked you about when it comes to saving, we're kind of like transitioning into that saving. What is your opinion? What is, what do you value when it comes to saving? I know a lot of people in our generation uh, either don't save or are scared to save because it's the classic, like, Oh yeah, I put it in my savings. And then like, I just transfer out anyway, when I need something, a mindset that I used to have a lot of the time. So what do you think about that concept? Yeah, saving, there's so much to say about saving because there are the people that don't save, there are people that are obsessed with saving, there are the people that, um, you know, are very economical and mathematical about it in terms of, you know, inflation is X amount, so saving, like you're not making any money in your savings. And while that is true, it scares me that that uh, kind of sentence alone is bouncing around TikTok because I think that some people will take from that oh well I don't need to save then because what's the point um but saving something that really um helped me well well firstly let's talk about whether or not you were actually taught about saving when you were growing up because one of the biggest shame things with me around money was forgiving myself for the fact that I didn't ever actually realize that I was meant to be saving nobody ever Mm -hmm. told me to save and (laughs) so much of the time I'm like well you should have known and it's like Mm -hmm. but if nobody ever taught you to ride a bike why would you expect to know so and you know people are talking about money a lot more now but you know I'm 31 (laughs) a decade ago people weren't really talking about it apart from maybe very small snippets like I've got five grand in my savings and you're thinking well where did you like where did you get that like how Mm -hmm. nobody said to me when I worked from when I was 15 nobody said to me and and if they did it didn't go in and they didn't teach me how nobody said to me if you reserve 10% of that by the time you're 25 you will be so grateful that you did like because you're earning such small amounts when you first start earning money and particularly for me I didn't earn any more than like 65k in Australian dollars until I was 29 and Mm -hmm. and then a lot more than that now but you know, some people, they get much bigger incomes and the, the hard hitting benefit is easier to see. If you get a grad job and you're on 90K, yeah, you, and, you, and you're living at home, you can start making this much bigger surprise. Mm. I think when you're working with smaller amounts, which a lot of us are, I moved out of home at 18, like I was paying rent from a young age, like it just always seemed too small and nobody really told me what I would need savings for. Like I kind of, a bit like that kind of mindset you mentioned, like, um, oh, it would, you know, when I need money, when I'm 30, it will just be there when I'm 30. And again, this is like a life skill that we are not told. And maybe it's a hangover from it not being true in other generations. I don't really know what it was like then because I didn't live through those. But we don't earn enough in the present for the present. Like saving, and this mindset helped me, saving is moving a surplus of income from one period in your life to another. The easiest time to do that is when you have less responsibilities, which tends to be when you are younger. But because you are earning, probably earning less, you think, oh, I'll save when I'm older. But when you are older, you have more responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, the proportion I actually did a, a few years ago, I did like a modeling of what the space was between my income and my expenses. And there were, you know, there are peaks in your life, but it was broadly when I was thinking, I don't earn enough to save. I earn 32K a year. 
as a contractor. I don't earn enough to save, but I actually had less responsibilities. So yeah, it was still a much smaller amount than somebody mm-hmm. on a higher income, but the actual biggest gap was then. So if you are young and you're listening to this, please start now because I didn't, nobody told me to, I didn't mm. realize. And I think when people are secretive about that, I mean, what happened for me, we, I got to 26 and my friends started buying houses and I was like, sorry, <laughs> like, yes, a lot of the time there was help involved, but I was like, what do you mean you've been saying? Like, no, but we weren't talking mm. about this. And I always use that analogy from Sex and the City, if you've seen it, when um, Carrie's laptop breaks and everyone keeps asking her if she'd been backing up her work. And she's like, when were you backing up? Nobody talks about this. Yeah. And that was me. And I think that's a lot of people with money, people that were taught, think everybody was taught. One of my good friends, Tash, she talks a lot about investing. And she goes, I was taught about budgeting, saving, investing when I was growing up. I thought everyone else was. And they weren't. And I was like, no, I weren't. And I thought I wasn't. And I thought everyone else wasn't either. So we all have these like mm. different um, starting points, both financially in terms of how much money we have, but also in the education that we have. Mm. But regardless of where you are starting from, and sorry, the reason I went off on that massive tangent is because a lot of people don't start because they think it's too late, because they think it's not time yet, that the timing's all off. Believe me, the time to start saving anything is right now. Um, and I think that for for I'll, I'll go out on a woman say everybody the first place we should be starting is saving an emergency fund or a rainy day fund it's the most boring one but it is not only is it um, obviously a mathematical benefit to you to have a pool of money there to cover unexpected costs flat tire laptop breaks um whatever it is anything else <laughs> everything's escaped <laughs> every financial disaster that escapes my brain but you know money for when you need it but there's also an emotional benefit to that too because when you are and it's you know it's been studied in people that are living in poverty but when you are when your brain and your mental load is consumed by survival and consumed by having enough money you are literally less able than other people to engage in other financial positive financial behaviors like um saving for retirement Mm. like building a savings or whatever so if you can build a savings before you are in turmoil whatever that turmoil you know for it's different for everybody but even the stress of trying to pay for car repairs when you don't have it no you're not living in poverty but that rule still applies if you are so consumed by that there's other collateral damage that falls out of that situation so if you can get the money saved up in an emergency fund you know start with working towards five hundred dollars then a thousand and really you need to work out what it is for you some people might stop at a thousand because if they live at home and don't drive Mm -hmm. you know your financial disasters are probably going to be a lot a lot less impactful than someone you know like us where we need our laptops for work we need to have money there to buy a new one because we would need to literally walk out the door and buy another one Mm. right now because otherwise we can't work or if you drive you might if you know again the extent to which you drive my partner and I share a 17 year old car so it's you know we that is something on our minds that we might think oh we might need to get a new car but neither of us rely on it for work so if the car died we wouldn't need to go Mm. and get a car right now but if you live more regionally or if you're a teacher or if you you know don't get a public transport or if you're a tradie and you need access to a vehicle we need to be working towards having money to cover that not only for um you know cover things that could go wrong not only for the mathematical benefit but the emotional benefit as well if you know you can Mm. weather various financial storms everything else in life just feels easier and you make better financial decisions too because you're not in a sabotage cycle you're not stuck there um you're not constantly thinking oh god one step forward two steps back Obviously, a lot of that stuff plays out when you're trying to get to this point of starting to save. And 
this was the same for me. I'd constantly be starting over, right? That is it. I am going to start saving. But if you have, if you haven't tried saving before, try something like setting, you know, a very normal budget, decide how much you're going to save. There's simple rules like pay yourself first, put the money in your savings first and live off what's left. Because if you ever, <laughs> if you ever say, oh, I used to do this all the time, I'll just give myself $500 and I'll just save whatever's left. No, there will be nothing left. Trust me, there just won't be. We sort of expand to fill our container. So save first. If you have tried saving though, and it hasn't worked in the past, this was me. And I totally get that. I tried so many times and I kept thinking, why is it not working? Like I would get somewhere and then I would need to pull out my savings or I would, I would save a bit. And then a financial disaster would happen. It felt like I was a magnet for just anything that could go wrong. And I was like, what is wrong with me? Usually when this happens though, uh, there is some sort of modifiable behavior that might be emotionally loaded so even though you might be spending small amounts you know a top from cotton on it might be like 17 bucks that can't possibly be the problem but sometimes it's about a lot more than that and what I found was and I I still experience this now I've just learned to control it a lot more what I found was all of my spending habits were and all of my kind of money decisions were linked to one, a sense of learned helplessness, that money would mm. always be difficult. This can happen a lot if you grew up in mm. homes where there was not a lot of money, not even necessarily poverty, just where there wasn't ever savings for those kind of things. Some people go one way and they become super frugal and they've always got money because they don't mm. want to live like that. But other people, and I experienced this too, and I finally, like, when I realized this was a thing, because I would always guilt myself thinking, you should be better at money because you don't want to be like it was when you were growing up. You want to feel confident with money, but you're not. But it can come from this learned helplessness that your experience of money, your lifetime financial experience is it's difficult. And that things like getting a, getting a flat tire is a stressful situation. And things like, you know, praying that your car passes the service. If that's all normal to you, you're not going to be set up for or aware of any other financial reality so you can be subconsciously stuck in this comfort zone a bit like you talk about your um some of those environments are actually serving you those like sabotaging behaviors it can happen with money as well the sabotage cycle is exactly the same you might be very used to when you do x y and z normal behaviors that means that when you get a flat tire oh two steps back again that becomes Mm. your norm and you have to actually really again that resistance that we've talked about you have to find that resistance and it will be hard and you have to say no to things and small amounts do add up to bigger change um I, I think I said learned helplessness first and there was another thing um the second thing is thinking about what your spending decisions actually not only say about you but mean to you personally because mm. I and I notice this now even now like with clothes and it's a lot better now that my mental health is a lot better and, I, and my self-worth is is on the up but particularly when I was younger and I wasn't aware of these kind of issues and I thought that that was just kind of what life was it wasn't for me about buying clothes or makeup or whatever it was about what it said about me and I the reason mm. it was such a cycle the reason it was such a sabotage cycle is because I couldn't even see the mathematical side because the emotional side of, oh my God, I'm going out tonight. And that guy that broke my heart Mm -hmm. is going to be there. And it it sounds really silly and juvenile, but I was 19 with that memory I'm talking about. And it wasn't a case of, can I afford to spend $40 on a dress? That just didn't come into it because it was, 
I am not enough and I need to do anything mm. I can to be enough. And well, I can't get lipo, so I better go and buy a dress with a waist belt because some toxic diet culture fueled magazine told me that that made me look thinner and that was enough. And again, like that's a dark example, but it's like money is so emotional and our finances can be a mirror of reflecting other things going on in your life. And if you relate to anything like that, really breaking down the actual emotional uh, backstory to your financial mm. situation can be really um, eye-opening and it was for me because I noticed that the way that I viewed money was well I wasn't even consciously viewing it but subconsciously I just kept dipping into money any money I had however small as a resource to try and plug this hole that money was never going to fill. It's one thing to use money as a resource in a positive way, but you can also use it to fulfill negative beliefs and behaviors as well. And I think if you are doing mm. that, that is the money will just leak out and you will not, if you focus on the money side, you will not be able to keep tro- keep control of it or grab onto the thing that's getting away from you. You've got to come in from the other side and look at it from um, the emotional side and the psychological side of why that's coming up um it can be learned things from sorry it can be learned things from childhood or it can be more um Mm. current things you know uh mental health things you're experiencing or just um just life stuff you're experiencing you can get into cycles of um using money as like an emotional sort of comfort blanket in a way Mm. I resonate with all of that because number one I never got taught saving and then yeah I would have friends I'd get to 25 who were buying houses or you know putting and I'm like what the actual fuck how the fuck do you have this amount of money and so I was very similar to you I would like shame myself because it was like I should know but then when I started to dive in the past, only the past couple of years of the emotional um, stories and narratives I have around money, I didn't understand, like I didn't get taught that. So don't shame that. And even one, one thing that I picked up and I did this a lot when I was in my early twenties, I was in uni and I had um, part-time casual jobs is for that time, like I was earning a bit for the lack of responsibilities I had. So it seemed like a lot of money, but I had a problem with keeping money. I Mm -hmm. always had to get rid of it. I would like before my paycheck would even come in or I'd know the amount, like it would already be spent in my head and I could blow through money within that that hour, honestly, easily. Like I would go on my lunch break, pay's gone in. All right, I used to have, so many I used to be a pharmacy assistant um mid-20s and there was a Lorna Jane every lunch break I would buy something brand new Mm. and it wasn't even it and like you said it wasn't even like oh my god like you know another hundred dollar leggings or like a sixty dollar top like can I can I actually afford this it was like no like this is I'm into the gym this is what you know everyone's wearing this is what I'm seeing and like my news feed back there was just full of like gym people so it was like no this is what they're wearing and I wouldn't think twice about it and even like you know as you said going out it would be like I'd know logistically I couldn't really afford to buy a brand new outfit yet I would still justify it. Mm. I would still be like, no, that this is like my last hundred dollars. I'm going to buy a new outfit plus free drink plus go out and buy Mm -hmm. drinks. And then I still have five days until I get my next pay. And I think it's about understanding for me over the past few years, it's been about understanding why I, where I picked that up from, why I didn't feel safe to, 
receive money and to keep money. And obviously I've picked up a lot from my parents, but I think it's really, really interesting because I was the same. I was like, I'm trying to save, but every week, like something's happened every other week, like I'm dipping into my savings, like this is useless. And I think like, along with what you're saying, the more that you play into that narrative, the more you're kind of playing victim to that. So I think it's Mm. about, you know, really understanding, okay, like this is how I've been for a while. I can see these cycles, what's actually happening. Mm. Um, One thing that I want to touch on that I know you spoke about, uh, I've seen on your reels is having a treat fund. Mm. So what's that about? It's um, so many sort of aspects I think of personal finance that overlook the spending side and you know I've said we're not taught to spend some people are taught to save but people aren't really taught to spend um but interestingly it's it's funny that it's overlooked because spending and saving are like two sides of the same Venn diagram you know like every dollar that is not spent is as a byproduct available to be saved mm. and likewise any dollar that is um saved is not spent um and sorry spent is not saved um but i think that a lot of a lot of the kind of work that i do with getting people um on top of their money is that when we do you know, start these budgets it's all very restrictive and we kind of have these lofty ideas and we sit down and we go okay so there's you know 800 dollars coming in and 400 is rent and da, 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 and then i'm going to live on 100 dollars a month and you're like i can do that and it's just completely unrealistic. And thus goes the cycle again. Budgeting's too hard. I don't earn enough. Da, 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 da. Whereas when we actually build not only spending in, but permission into our budget or our money management system, it's like a margin for error in a way. And it can either be that can, I also have a whoops fund for a literal margin for error, but giving yourself a portion of money to spend helps you break the pattern of sabotaging because if it's like, oh, I'm going to give myself a hundred dollars for the whole month. And that's obviously completely unrealistic because you haven't, you know, you haven't got the lifestyle to back that up. You know, you need to get X, Y, and Z with that. Um, you're building yourself in um, a treat fund or whatever. It's, it's a permission thing because if you've got that permission there, you're also less likely to buy stuff because even, even though we don't think we like sabotaging, we kind of do because that like mm. childlike nature comes out and goes, you know what? Fuck the rules. I'm not going to do yep. it. I'll just be poor. I'll just be broke. You know, we do it with food too. We go, I'm going to eat really, really healthily and I'm going to have yeah. <laughs> And then we go, you know what? I don't care about looking good or whatever. And, you know, it's super toxic. <laughs> but, you know, I don't care about being healthy. I deserve this. And there we go. Whereas if you've got a chocolate bar mm. there or a financial chocolate bar there, you're not going to go, fuck that too. I'm going to go to Burger King or Hungry Jack's, whatever it's called in Australia. You, you're going to go, okay, well, I've got this margin for error. Do I, you, and it helps you make better decisions too, because you've got that little financial chocolate bar there. So you go, like, if you want to, if you want to buy that top, you can, but then you go, oh, it helps you make the decision as to whether you really, really want it. Whereas mm. if money wasn't there, then you go, then it's this um, boom or bust situation. It's this, you're either sticking to it, you're either being good or you're being bad. You're either sticking to it or you're not because there's no permission there. So you're either, that's all well and good when everything's going well. But then when your boss screams at you for something someone else did and you're having a terrible day, suddenly mm. that, sab- that craving to just go, oh, stuff it. Or, oh, the, the environment's not right. So really what the treat fund is doing is it's giving you permission. It's making your budget or your money management system way more sustainable it's a margin for error, but it's also sort of, it, it's a device to help you get clarity on your financial decisions mm. that is there to catch you when the 
environment isn't perfect when all the variables aren't in the perfect Ooh. position because we can do anything our brains can do whatever we want if all the if the stage is perfectly set but it's life and it's not going to be so having that there is just one of the tools that I suggest people do um to kind of emotionally connect to as well because if it is you know it's $200 in there you're going to feel different about that $200 because it's $200 in isolation there for you to spend you can if you want it's not pulling out of your $400 total savings mm. where you're going to go, oh, failed again. Oh, well, I'll start again on Monday. So then you go through the rest of the week just completely like messing everything up for yourself because you've already failed in inverted commas. I love that. And I, I'm going to start one of these because I feel like I feel like everyone should have one. And I think, mm. like you said, it's, it's way better to pull from that account where you've emotionally labeled already, like that's what you can do to treat yourself or that's what you can do. You don't need to feel bad. It's not, you don't need to think about, oh, well, you know, I have that money in my account because, you know, I have bills coming out or like I need to pull from my savings. So that's definitely something I want to start. So thank you for that. One question that I just remembered from um, previously was, do you, if people are at a point where they say have credit cards or afterpay and all that type of stuff, would you suggest paying off your debt first, then saving or trying to save and pay off debt at the same time? Yeah, it's, um. so I was in the same situation. I had, I, I didn't ever get into um, afterpay debt, thankfully, because it sort of came out a bit later and I hadn't used it for ages. Or, uh, I didn't use it for a long time and I used it a couple of times and shut it down, but I did have credit card debt when I started mm. and I have to be careful not to you know I can't give um, financial mm. advice and there is a you know the thing with credit card debt is that if it has an interest rate it is costing you money to maintain that debt however the, the choice really that you have to make is you can either um, do you know what a lot, of the, a lot of the traditional finance gurus suggest and really prioritize go all in on paying down that debt um, and pay down the one with the highest interest rate first because that is um, the one obviously costing you the most what I did, though, was I took more of an emotional um, two-pronged benefit to it. So every dollar that I had or whatever, every time I got paid, um, the amount that I had available, I think it was like $300 a fortnight at the time or a week. I think it was a fortnight at the time um, to pay off my debt. I would put 50% towards my debt and 50% into savings up until a certain point mm. so that I had savings there because the problem that I had, and it really probably depends if this is the problem you have. But for me, the problem with paying off credit card debt was I would pay it off and then something would pop up and I would have no choice but to use it again. So what it did for me was not only paying off my debt this way with this 50-50 split, it did teach me to save because paying off the debt you learn to live with a lot less money because you're paying off the debt and you get the dopamine rather than from buying stuff you get it from seeing mm. the balance go down uh, but it also broke the cycle of credit for me and allowed that balance to keep going down because I didn't I cut the card up but didn't use it once I had mm. saved up that little bit of an emergency fund and then I kept splitting that money so that then when you're debt free you're not then going okay now what like I don't know how to operate in this environment you go well now I've got these savings and if anything pops mm. up on that debt payoff journey you have got the savings there the obviously that key caveat is what I said that if you're that generally if your debt has an interest rate it will be costing you money so you need to be aware of that um at one stage I had some of it on a zero percent um period so it wasn't costing me money but that is something to be aware of there is a cost to doing mm. that um, but you know, you do pay for benefits in your life. And if you are paying, 
again, it depends on what your rate is and what your balance is. But if you are paying the cost of that interest to effectively have a pool of savings, that's what you need to discern. Is that effectively mm. that was what I had done when I was paying a bit of interest on it? The cost of the interest that I was paying by not putting that whole three hundred by splitting it in half, the cost was was getting me in return a pot of savings that I had never in my life had before. And to me, that was worth it. Um, it's It will depend person to person if that is worth it for you. But that is how I did it. You don't even need to do it 50-50, even if you literally do it 90-10. You know, just so you're putting something into savings because it will help you break that debt cycle if you've got even anything there. Mathematically, yes, you've got money there, but emotionally, you don't turn 100% to credit when something bad pops mm. up because that's that's a real sabotage Um everything sucks kind of cycle that's where Mm. real learned helplessness can become ingrained because Mm. you think that your only option is to turn to credit and it is when you're in that environment it is um and you don't have the choice until much further down the line when you've when you've um done the work and put the money in the account so um that's sort of my approach to it I don't think that you um have to put every single cent to debt I think you can work on building up savings um not only monetary savings but the savings habit at the same time what do you think about the attitude our generation has towards things like afterpay I know a lot of my friends I know I've been there where I'm like oh it's just so much easier to put an afterpay and just pay it off like whatever what do you think about that whole attitude yeah our generation has Mm, it's an interesting one and obviously everybody is totally um, entitled to their opinion I am not right and not to you know debt is morally neutral um you're not a better person if you don't have it mm. um but I will say that I personally changed my opinion on afterpay I thought afterpay was the best thing ever at one stage mm. because I was using it responsibly I was like great um but i think that and, and you know there's a conversation about credit cards as well which is often overlooked because they are much more regulated but m- myself i i have changed my opinion on um on buy now pay later and a lot of people have also said to me um either in person or through message you know i used to think it was okay but when i really thought about it or i used to think i used it responsibly because yeah mm-hmm. you put an 80 I don't know, a pair of shoes on there and pay it $20 off a fortnight, like, or a week or however it works. Um, and you might be able to afford that and that might help you budget. But a lot of people go, yeah, I could afford it. And yeah, it helped me budget, but it actually made me buy more stuff. And mm. there is that weird little subset where you're not paying the late fees. You're not in debt. You've got your mm. savings. Maybe you've even bought a house. Everything on paper looks tickety-boo, but actually... Are you using it to buy things that you wouldn't have bought if that financial mechanism was not available? And a lot mm. of people are like, oh, fuck, yeah, I think I think maybe I am. Um, and what can help is, you know, if you're using it perfectly healthily, you won't have outstanding balances on it. So next time you, you don't have, um, next time you paid your stuff off, pause your account for a while and mm. see how it changes your um, perspective on things. Because, there's, you know, there's very clever things that buy now pay later does in terms of those biases and the way our brains work and the danger I think that can fall out of it and it's again it's a complex conversation because of the privilege and some people need to use it and for the people that need it it's great because there's no interest um but I think that what it does whether you need it or whether it's for once and I did recently do some research actually and I asked um some some of my newsletter audience um to fill in a survey and and like 90 percent of the usage was on once and it was actually after that a lot of people were like until you asked me do you use it for wants or needs like I hadn't even thought about it like that but it's never needs it's always once 
But mm. what I was originally going to say is that um, what it does is slowly over time, it erodes the way we see numbers and we start, we don't see $80 as $80 anymore. We see it as 20 in an immediate mm. commitment. And that's really dangerous because it's a bit like, you know, it, in a totally different way. But when I first came to Australia, I got used to halving every number because I was converting it to pounds. So mm. I was like, oh, $100 is like 50 pounds. But over time, that kind of messed with it because the pounds became irrelevant, but I would still halve it to make a smaller number. And that's obviously really niche and doesn't apply to many people. But over time, if you start seeing $80 as 20 $400 as 100 yeah. because two weeks is a long time like it's yeah. not but it is like a lot happens in two weeks and it's sort of just small enough that it feels soon but it, it's just wide enough that you can kind of chalk up the potential to make more money in that time you might go oh, I'm just gonna get this put off and then I'll pick up an extra shift at work and you know I don't know if you've worked in hospital but I have I used to do this a lot when I went mm. to hospital way 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 back before my nap later but I might go um oh, I'm gonna pick up an extra shift and then I get there and they go oh it's quiet you can go home and I'd be thinking I've already spent the money I haven't earned yet from this shift like I've I've made financial decisions based on this um, and I think that can come into play with by now by later too but really that that way we view numbers is something that concerns me greatly about it mm, that's so interesting I used to I used to work hospital as barista and I used to do that like spend the money already before after paying all that and yeah you'd get sent home because it was so quiet mm-hmm. um, a bit of I know we need to like wrap up soon I'm the same like I could keep talking for however I am loving your advent calendar little series on reels and it's I thought of you this morning because I open up my spam email so not my business email where I get all the spam marketing and I haven't looked at it a few days I'm looking through and I see Nespresso the coffee drinker and when we bought our Nespresso machine we got like a a credit to get free pods so I'm obviously signed up and I was like oh what's this and it's like um advent calendar Nespresso straight away the coffee lover in me is like oh fuck that would be so cool for December and immediately I see you in my head and I'm like hang on a second I'm getting sucked in by this marketing and I'm sitting and I'm looking at this email and I'm like, no, no, no. And like, I think for it was like, and I know there's different advent calendars that are a lot more luxe price, but I think it was like only $60 and I was trying to justify and I'm like, Jess, you literally have at least like a hundred pods <laughs> in your cupboard right now. You do not need that. So can you just speak a little bit about this? Cause I'm loving this. Yeah, I mean, you maybe you missed my most recent one where I actually said that Nespresso is one I probably would buy. Although I haven't looked at the price because I don't have a pod machine anymore, but I did one. People were like, what ones would you buy? And I was like, okay, I'll find some that I don't hate. Mm. Um, the coffee ones and the tea ones, I don't think necessarily, I mean, it depends on how much they cost, but I don't think they're necessarily that bad because 24 teas and coffees isn't particularly obscene. Like if you drink coffee every day, like one a day is not enough. I need like five yeah. avocados <laughs> to fill my needs. Um, but in terms of the, um, yeah, the advent calendars is such a weird one because it is, there's just so many factors at play that make us want them. And I did this, I did this video on like, why do we want them so much? Even though we kind of, we look at the stuff and we go, I don't really want that. But yeah. we just we just want it. And there are so many things. And like one of them is is that they're often marketed um, very limited edition. Anything that is limited edition, advent calendar or not, we will naturally go, oh, got to have it. And I do this a lot in Melbourne and I, I would imagine Brisbane is the same. This I think it's like <laughs> in our generation, there's like collaboration culture and it will be like cocoa black X 
bouncy castles and you're like what and it'll be like a urban list headline like a bouncy castle or a jumping castle whatever you call them here is coming to melbourne and there's chocolate in it and you're like oh my god i've gotta go this will sell out and you're like bashing in your card details before you've even thought about whether that's really something that you need and advent calendars are the same that you know there's limited stock selling fast only available Mm. to the 15th and it is that like end point where you're like i've missed out over a full year if i don't get Mm. this and it becomes a game of trying to get one especially with tiktok now people do the unboxings and you want to be in on it you want to get in on it so like that's a huge thing there's also the novelty aspect and the childlike aspect particularly in in the Mm. advent category um it reminds us of our childhood it gives us like a little little hit of dopamine every day, um, which is innocent enough, I suppose, if it's a tea bag or a little bit of chocolate and the advent calendar was, you know, less than 50 bucks or whatever. But it becomes really dangerous when you're spending a lot of money on these and money that could be used for other things. You know, we're in a cost of living yeah. crisis. <laughs> people's yeah. energy bills are doubling and people are spending like $900 on advent calendars. And this is a complex one for me because I don't often say don't buy X, Y and Z. And I'm not saying don't buy it. I'm just saying just really think about whether it's worth it and whether you really want it or whether it's just the novelty because the danger of them is that we, to an extent, get into the habit and this pleasure loop of consuming every single day and getting excitement and joy every single day. And suddenly that's all our joy is hinged on, particularly the expensive ones, whether it was a Mm. good thing that day. And it's it's a bit different now because brands are are sort of um, displaying what you get early on but particularly if you spent a lot of money on one there's going to be a big part of you that's like every day going oh is this worth it was this good and it either if it was you're excited for next day if it wasn't you're immediately thinking about what you're going to get next day and it's like I don't know I think I think when you're working with a tea bag or a little piece of chocolate or a coffee pod that's Mm. you know that's one thing if you want to participate in that sort of like gamified little treat every day you know it's December it's the holidays do whatever you want Um, but I think when we're working at that real luxury point there's also the wastage conversation like what on earth are you going to do with all that stuff yeah it's either you know on the best case scenario it's beauty minis and you use them all but there's just an absolute shit ton of packaging and, you know, mm. maybe you're even tempted to buy the full size. So there's a financial implication there. But some of them that are like jewellery or ornaments, like 24, even yeah. 12 of anything. When have you ever gone out and bought 12 necklaces in one go? Like, that's absurd. <laughs> but these are the things you're getting in advent calendars. And it's not, it's, you can always tell because you're being sold on limited time or the amount of value you're getting. And if it's mm. 500 and it only costs 250, you haven't saved $250. You've spent $250. Mm. And it's the same with like discounted stuff. You know, you mm. haven't saved the money, you've still spent it. But with, you know, if they're leading with how much value you're getting, it's probably shit. <laughs> because why would they give you anything for free? They don't, unless it's a lost leader and they are therefore making money somewhere else. Like, you know, there's there's products that brands sell that don't make money, but it it's uh gets people in the ecosystem of buying other stuff so you know best case scenario you're getting a lot of value but there's going to be a benefit from them somewhere else someone actually told me and I guess this is a side I have overlooked but I am really looking at the consumer psychology uh on some of the brand side there actually is a lot of loss made with the advent calendars but they have to keep up with the industry because Mm. everybody's doing one so if you know all the other skincare brands are doing one and you're not you lose money that way because people get into the ecosystem of other brands and you've got to show up. Um, so yeah. there obviously is some sort of benefit to showing up, whether it, you know, for the brand, whether it is making money on the advent calendar or um, 
you know keeping up with everybody else in the industry um mm. but it's yeah it's a really um it's a, it's a big generation I mean that, that's kind of what we come back to with the challenges of our generation like our parents mm. weren't talking about whether or not they should get the journey <laughs> advent calendar like I saw incredible. it um cool. literally I saw this was a couple of months though on TikTok um but someone got access to the Chanel one and it was like eight oh, hundred dollars yeah. <laughs> oh my god yeah that was a, a dumpster when fire I, from last year yeah when I first oh when I first saw that on TikTok I was like oh this would be good and I'm like oh my god people are spending money on this ridiculous it, <laughs> again you kind of go you think oh Advent calendar oh Chanel I know those two things but then you're like hang on do I want to, do you own 24 yeah. items from any other brand <laughs> I don't I mean I'm very basic with my makeup and skincare but 24 items from one brand have you ever before and even the brands can't think of what to give you they give you a key ring because they can't think of shit all else to give you because they don't have enough stuff so true but we until you break it down you go you you don't it just and again it's all this normalized stuff and this is what concerns Mm. me about this just vast array of stuff you can get you can literally type in now something I like and a you know Seinfeld t-shirt um mm. Chanel sticker you can just get absolutely anything and if you can't buy it you can make it yourself with some sort of manufacturer and it's just I don't know I just think that not only is it um dangerous to have so many things available to buy and therefore the the messaging to get you to buy them I think it just sets such a precedent for yeah. what's normal and that's the thing with this advent calendar stuff it's just a precedent every single year that yeah that's going to be available and that's so that's normal you know a lot I, I did get a bit of backlash from I, not as much as I thought to be honest but people going like don't be such a killjoy it's just an advent calendar and I'm like yeah it is but when you really look at it is mm. it like <laughs> there's a lot mm. more going on there um behind that t- there's a Tiffany advent calendar apparently that's like two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> which is my next deep dive but you know that's the very oh wow but yeah kind of trickles down from there and we're the ones paying for it I am so happy with my five dollar Kmart chocolate advent calendar I get every year (laughs) I'm more than satisfied getting a little treat every single day (laughs) yeah I sometimes get the Cadbury one or like they've got a lot more in the UK than they do here so I do miss the UK ones oh I'm gonna be in the UK this year I might get an English one maybe I'll do some English chocolate is good um (laughs) well I think we should wrap it up there thank you so much Emma where can everyone find you work with you consume your reels let us know (laughs) thank you so much for having me I am at thebrokegeneration.com I'm at the dot broke generation on instagram and tiktok and my podcast is called the broke generation podcast and i've got a few classes and courses and things coming in 2023 so stay tuned for those i'll obviously be talking about them on social media yay that's exciting i will put all the links in the show notes below and also i previously just did a interview with emma for her podcast so i'll also link that as well so thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you